Hey everyone, welcome back. I know the videos have been kind of all over the place, but I'm finally back to my normal schedule. I hope you all enjoyed the holidays. These stories are all pretty disturbing, so let's be respectful to the people who sent these stories in the comments. I'll have the timestamps for each story down below, and if you have a story of your own, you can send it at southerncannibal.com. Let's go ahead and get started, and remember to always stay hungry. Due to this happening recently and to protect my family's privacy, I would like to go by my middle name, Sean. I came home to Mobile, Alabama recently to spend time with my mother for her birthday. My parents recently moved into a new home in a newly built neighborhood. Friday morning, New Year's Eve, I was helping my mother retrieve groceries from the car when I noticed the attic door was slightly open. The attic was in the garage. I asked my mom if her or her husband were recently in the attic. She said no, and that no one had been up there while the house was being built. To ring in the new year, my parents and I had a lot to eat and drink. It's safe to say that everyone was in bed before midnight. Before my mother lay down for the night, she turned the alarm on and made sure all the doors were locked. I woke up around 1am to get something to drink. I heard what sounded like the garage door trying to open. I assumed it was just my mind playing tricks on me because I had been drinking. I thought maybe my parents were out in the garage. I checked their room and they were sound asleep. I went back into my room and then attempted to fall back to sleep. Around 5 a.m., I kept hearing someone trying to open the garage door. Not wanting to alarm my folks, I decided to check and see what it was. I just kept telling myself, you're just drunk, you're imagining things. But I then heard my mom's car door close and the outside garage door then open. Due to my mom parking her car in the garage, she never locks her doors. I woke my parents and I had told them what happened. We checked the garage to see if anything was missing. Fortunately, there wasn't. My stepdad checked the attic and he was shocked at what he saw. He then saw discarded cans and food wrappings all throughout the attic. Apparently, while their house was being built, someone was living up in the attic. My stepdad had decided since nothing was taken to not call the police. Instead, he had nailed the attic door completely shut. We have no idea who was living in the attic, and I highly doubt the man or woman would be coming back. If I had unlocked the garage door or woke up when I did, there's no telling what could have happened. This past New Year's Eve slash New Year's Day, my best friend, who will go by the name of Greg and I after some hours of day drinking, decided to venture out to our favorite spot and watering hole close to my house. Because we had already had a fair amount at another bar, walking to our watering hole was the best decision we made that night. Upon entering the bar, we exchanged greetings with the bartenders and immediately were served our usual beers. The night goes on. And after shots were served and Happy New Year hugs prevailed around the bar, Greg and I went outside to smoke a cigarette. Upon lighting our lucky strikes, 
I spotted a middle-aged man seated by himself at the corner most adjacent to the fire pit. Being the new year, Greg gave him a pleasant, Happy New Year, sir, to which he nodded too. Soon after, the guy came toward us and we struck a conversation with him. Although the guy was somewhat off, he wasn't too bad to be around. Nevertheless, when the small talk reached the, what do you do for a living, part, the man claimed to be in the cartel. Living in a border town, this immediately took me aback and I decided to create my distance from the man. Greg got bad vibes too, and so he tried to escape for more drinks when the man grabs his wrist tightly, then saying, And where the fuck do you think you're going? Sit down. Given we're pretty drunk, I decided to laugh it off, playing it off as a joke. Man, did I fuck up. The dude immediately turns to me and gives me the most malevolent look I've ever seen in my life. The cliche, if looks could kill, definitely applied during those brief seconds. Greg immediately sat down, scared shitless. I asked the guy if there was a problem. There can be if you want it to be, he thundered back. As the tension grew, luckily the bartender Amy came out to ask if we needed more drinks. Afterwards, I followed her back inside to order shots for the boys. I saw that the guy had let go of Greg's hand, but what he didn't let go of was that look of pure evil directed right at me. As I'm inside, I told Amy to go get us our bill. Given that I probably looked like a ghost, she immediately printed the receipt and gave it to me. Before I could reach for my card, the guy was right next to me once more. You leaving? He asks. Yeah, it's about time. If you go back outside, we're going to have some problems, he said stoically. Greg peered through the side door, signaling for me to leave. I gave the man one last look as he appeared to be lost in a daze around the bar. I then paid the bill, walked around the restroom where the side door was, and I immediately took a sharp left to the side door and then bolted out. As I see Greg running out through a marsh behind the bar leading to an opening that would lead us back to my house, I heard the guy clear as fucking day then say, Don't worry, I'll find you, and when I do, we'll really get to know each other. Although that's not exactly verbatim, it propelled in me to increase my speed, causing me to trip several times amongst the muddy marsh. Greg helped me up, and we bolted immediately to my house. Once we were safe, we still couldn't help but think of the man's words at the end. Greg had told me that while I was inside, the man had talked about killing and raping, all while laughing about it and what he'd do to us. Yeah, the next new year I'm avoiding any strangers who give us strange vibes from the start, because you just never know what kind of hate and evil lingers in someone's heart. My name is CJ. I'm a 19-year-old female, but at the time of this story, I was 15. Before starting this story, I want everyone to know that everything happened in this story is true. It caused me a lot of physical, emotional, and mental pain for me and my family, but I understand if some people don't believe it. Also, a little backstory. During this time, I was living with my dad. I have a mom and little sister who are living in a separate town at the time the story took place. There wasn't any bad blood between my mom and dad. Things just didn't work out, and they split when I was very young. 
around when I was a baby. I lived with my mom until around fifth grade when I decided that I wanted to live with my dad. My mom agreed since at the time living conditions really weren't that great. I lived with him up until the events the story took place. It happened three years ago in January of 2020. I still remember the exact date and time that it happened. It was around 3 p.m. on a Thursday. I had just gotten out of school and I was on the bus heading home. It had been raining that day, so some of the roads that my bus route took were flooded. When certain roads were flooded, my bus driver would drop off some kids earlier than usual since she had to change the route a bit. Usually I was the last one off the bus, but this time I was able to be one of the first kids getting off the bus. When I got home, my dad had said that we needed to head to town to get some groceries since we were running kind of low on stuff. I was really excited because there were some snacks that I wanted to get that I had run out of a couple of days earlier. I had changed quickly than I normally would, and we headed out the door. We got in our truck and started driving to town. We lived about 20 minutes from the town that we bought the groceries at. We lived on a main highway at the time, so it was usually busy around 3 to 4 p.m. since schools are getting out and people are heading home from work. There's a middle school on the highway that we lived on, so there was a lot of traffic. As we were driving past the middle school, we were on a stray part of the road coming up on a curve. As we're driving, we see a small red truck come flying around the curve. As it turned into the stray part of the road, it swerved a couple of times and then it crashed into us head on. Everything felt like slow motion during this. One second we were fine, and the next second all I felt was pain. Everything hurt, and I couldn't hear anything due to a really loud ringing in my ears. I opened my eyes to see a completely shattered windshield that was somehow still holding together. I couldn't see anything out of it. I remember it being hard to breathe and my chest hurting really bad. Everything was in so much pain, especially my left arm and shoulder. I remember looking over to my dad and I saw that he was struggling to breathe. He asked me if I was okay in very struggled words. Other than the pain in my left arm and shoulder, my body started to feel like it was going back to normal. I said I was okay and I asked him if he was okay. He said no and in that moment, I then realized how much damage he had taken. He had cuts from the windshield's glass on his hands and arms. The steering wheel had been bent from holding onto it during the crash. His breathing was labored, and I remember him starting to look very pale. I looked over to my window to see people crowding around us and calling 911. I saw the panic in their eyes, and some were crying. I was able to still move, so I opened my car door, which was surprisingly not crushed like the rest of the truck was. I looked over at my dad yet again, and it looked like his condition was getting worse. This scared me even more, and since I was already stressed from the crash itself, seeing him in that condition caused me to start having a panic attack. I remember a lady coming up to me and trying to comfort me and calm me down. She told me I needed to stay strong for my dad and try to also sit still since I could be injured in my spine and neck. I was able to calm down a little bit and she asked me if I had a phone. I said yes, and I reached into my right jacket pocket. 
I opened it, and she helped me go to my contacts. She asked who I wanted to call to let them know what happened and what hospital I would be going to. I said that I wanted to call my mom all and then my boyfriend at the time. After we made those calls, I used my dad's phone to contact other family friends that I didn't have in my phone. During all of this, the paramedic showed up and started helping my dad. One paramedic saw that I was fully conscious and talking. After checking on me, they had called a police officer over to get a statement for me. I remember looking over to my dad after talking to the officer and seeing the paramedics trying to get him out of the truck. Now, my dad was a big man, over 350 pounds or more due to his diabetes. The paramedics were having a hard time getting him out of the truck due to his weight. I remember them having to get him to walk a few steps so they could put him on the stretcher. He was in so much pain though. I remember the pain sounds he was letting out. After they got my dad onto the stretcher, more paramedics came over and helped me onto a stretcher as well. I remember grabbing my dad's phone and my phone as well as my headphones and then putting them into my jacket pockets. I was loaded into an ambulance and we started heading towards the hospital. The EMT who was in the ambulance with me was very sweet. She kept talking to me while putting a neck brace on me and then an IV into my arm. She helped calm me down some more so my levels would be closer to normal. We arrived at the hospital and I was wheeled into a room. I remember it being very open. I was facing a wall mostly made of glass windows and a glass door. The nurses came in and closed all the curtains that faced the lobby that I was wheeled in from. After getting my clothes off and putting me in a hospital gown, they were checking me for injuries. I told them that my left arm and shoulder was really hurting bad. They had to do x-rays on it just to make sure it wasn't broken. I ended up having a sprained shoulder which was causing pain in my entire arm. To make sure that I had no other unseen injuries, I had to get a full body MRI scan. It felt like I was in the MRI machine forever. It was really loud and the earplugs they gave me didn't really help. I was very relieved when it was all done and I was wheeled back to my room. After my scans were all done, they started allowing visitors into my room. Thankfully, this was way before COVID restrictions, so I was able to see my family and friends who visited. A lot of my family and friends came to see me. They were relieved to know I was still awake and able to talk to them. My dad, though, that was a different story. When he was rushed into the hospital, they had to immediately start trying to give him blood. During the crash, his ribs impaled his lungs and there was a lot of internal bleeding. They were trying to help him breathe and get blood into him, but he was losing it faster than they could give it to him. They were able to get him into a slightly more stable condition, and they were getting him ready to be taken to a bigger hospital. I remember my family standing in the hallway watching them wheel him out. At the time, I had wished that I was able to see him too, but my family only got to see him for a split second before he was wheeled into another ambulance. I was in the hospital until around 11 p.m. They were going to keep me overnight so they could keep an eye on me, but since my condition was good, they released me. They told me that I would have to pick up a prescription for some pain medicine in about an hour. My uncle picked me up and he took me to his house where my mom was living at too at the time. I was able to sit for a bit until it was time to pick up my prescription. 
we got my medicine from a local 24-hour pharmacy. On the way back to my uncle's house, I had told my mom that it really hurt when my left arm moved at all. She then stopped at a Walmart so she could go in and pick up an arm sling for me. I was sitting in the car with my sister when I got a message on my phone. They weren't able to save my dad, and he passed away while in the hospital at around 1am. I remember starting to cry while my sister comforted me. My mom got the news while she was in the store. I remember her telling me later that when she got the news, she literally fell to her knees sobbing while in an aisle. My dad was 38 years old when he passed away. I'm glad I was able to spend as much time with him as I could in the years leading up to this. This event has left a big scar on my family. My dad was a very important person in a lot of people's lives. I still miss him and I'll always remember the good times we had together. Unfortunately, however, my dad was not the only person who passed away in this accident. The driver of the other truck also died in the hospital. He was only 19 years old. I can't imagine the pain his family was also going through. The crash was an accident. He wasn't intoxicated or distracted. Accidents really do just happen out of the blue. The crash itself was 120 miles per hour impact. It's honestly a miracle that I survived. I was the only survivor. Sometimes I wonder how I was able to walk out of that crash with only a sprained shoulder and severe bruising across my chest and lap from the seatbelt. I still have shoulder pain now, especially when lifting heavy things. Due to the accident, I was also diagnosed with PTSD, and it has had a big impact in my life. My mental state has improved significantly over the past year thanks to the help of my therapist, friends, and family. I have been able to move past this event, and I recently was able to get my driver's permit. Thank you all for listening to my story. Be careful out there, and if you have a dad, hug them extra tightly for me. You never know what can happen. My name is Emily. At the time of the story, I was at the age of 16. I was over at my friend's house. I had recently just gone through a breakup with my boyfriend, so I wanted to stay with her so she would comfort me. My ex was a very abusive man, and to this day, I still can't believe I got away. And it wasn't just the abuse that got me running from him. There was something about him. He was a very strange man. At first glance, he was a really nice guy, and we got along really well. But over time, something started to change. I often noticed he would watch me, and it wasn't comfortable for me. Anytime I would dress, he would always be behind me, and there were other things I don't even feel comfortable enough to mention. While I was at my friend's house, I woke up in the middle of the night to get a glass of water, and while the sink was on, I had heard a noise, like a crash of some sort. I figured something just fell in the basement and I just shook it off. But a few minutes later, I heard the same noise again. I started to get scared. What the hell was that noise? The sound it seemed to be coming from the living room. Was there someone in the house? I started to walk to the stairs and that's when I heard a very familiar voice. Hello, Emily. 
the voice of no other than my ex said. I shook immediately. I was scared as hell. What the actual fuck was he doing here? I heard him pull something out of his pocket, and I didn't want to know what it was. Are you scared of me? He asked with a malicious chuckle. I had said nothing, for I didn't know what to say. I wanted to run, but I knew he would chase me down. I didn't want to pull my friend into the situation. For how I was to get rid of him, I didn't know. You can't ignore me, Emily. I'm not going anywhere. He said. What the fuck do you want from me? I yelled, finally turning to face him. I can't stand to live without you. He said, pulling out a switchblade from his pocket. I was horrified. What the hell had he planned to do? Was he going to kill me? What are you doing? Do you plan to kill me? You won't be able to live with yourself if you do that. I growled at him. You're coming with me, Emily. I will force you to come with me. You have no choice. He said, walking closer to me. I had started to breathe heavily, and at this point I had no choice but to run. I bolted up the stairs, but something strange happened. He didn't follow me. He just stood at the bottom of the steps, and I saw that malicious smile cross his face, and he then laughed like an insane person. Go ahead, Emily. Run. Run to your little friend. Cry to her about what you saw. This isn't over. You can call the police, but they'll never find me. I will come for you. He smiled menacingly. I ran as fast as I could and then bolted into my friend's room, slamming the door behind me and breathed so fucking heavily. The loud slam woke up my friend and she shot up from the bed. Emily, what's wrong? She asked. I started crying, falling onto my knees. She ran over and pulled me into a hug, and I continued to cry into her shoulder. What happened? She asked, begging for me to answer her. It was him, I said. He's back. He attacked me. I then began to cry. My friend didn't know what to say, and I could tell she was pissed off. Is he still here? She asked. I don't know. But he said no matter what we do, he's not going to leave me alone. He's going to find me. I cried into her shoulder. No, he won't. And I'll be the one to make sure of that. I'll call the police on him. She said, starting to stand up. That's not going to change anything. He told me the police will never find him. I'm scared, Rosie. I whimpered. You're going to stay with me until he's caught and put to justice. The police will find him. It doesn't matter if he thinks he'll escape. He will be found. She said in a very serious tone. After crying for a little while longer, I eventually fell asleep. But this continued to haunt me the following morning that I woke up. How did he know where I was? Was he stalking me? The next day we were at school and I had met up with my friend Anthony who was one of my closest friends. I told him about the situation that happened the other night and how I was terrified. So he just broke in? Anthony asked. Yeah, he threatened to kill me if I weren't to come with him. I'm scared, Anthony. I don't feel safe to go anywhere by myself anymore, I said. You won't. I'll always be by your side. 
me and Rosie won't ever leave you alone. And if I ever see that fucking creep come around you, I'll deal with that motherfucker myself. I won't allow him to put a hand on you. Anthony promised, taking my hand. I smiled very lightly, and I gave him a light nod. I was glad enough to know that I had someone who was here for me. Weeks had passed since the situation, and I had started to feel better. But all of that changed on one night. It was January 21st, 2019, and I was taking a walk around the block. I needed to get out and get some fresh air. I felt relaxed, and I honestly forgot about the situation. That all changed very quickly, as I had heard the sounds of footsteps from behind me. I took a glance back, and I saw a man with a hood over his head. I had thought someone was just walking the same path as me, but that thought quickly changed when he continued to follow me. I went through an alley where no one ever takes, and sure enough, I heard the same footsteps behind me. Why are you following me? I asked, not even daring to look at him. I told you that you can't escape me, and no matter what you do, I'll always find you. He snickered, walking closer and closer to me. I didn't have a way out. I was blocked by a wall in front. My only way to get out was to somehow dodge him and then run for my life. As I tried to run, I was suddenly grabbed and then shoved against the wall. He then put a switchblade up to my neck, then laughing maniacally. Be a good girl, Emily. Just come with me, and I promise I won't harm you. He said, obviously lying. Just leave me the fuck alone! I yelled. My ex shoved me harder and then threw me onto the ground. I tried to back away, but he got the upper hand and then pulled himself on top of me. I yelled and yelled for help as I would hope someone would come to save me. And it was like a blessing, as I then heard a voice then yell. Get your fucking hands off of her, you son of a bitch! My ex stood up, and I was able to crawl away from him. I saw Anthony and Rosie standing at the corner of the alley. Anthony helped me up, and then walked in front of me to face my ex. What the fuck is wrong with you, you creep? He asked. My ex didn't speak and he only stared at Anthony for what felt like forever. He didn't move a muscle. He just stared. Oh, she liked it, he said in a low voice. You were trying to fucking rape her, you animal! I saw it with my own eyes! What kind of asshole harms an innocent girl? Anthony yelled. My ex continued to stare, and a smile cracked against his face. Move out of the way, he warned looking right at me. I knew that he was going to try and attack me, and I just continued to back away. Not gonna happen, pal, Anthony growled. My ex suddenly took the switchblade from his pocket and pounced on Anthony, trying to stab him. Get the fuck off him! I yelled. He continued to try, but all of a sudden, we heard the sirens of the police coming our way. My ex suddenly jumped up and gripped his switchblade. He tried to find a way to get out, but he was blocked. From not paying attention, Anthony pounced him, pinning him down so he couldn't escape. But he had shoved Anthony off, and as he stood up, he saw the police car blocking off the alley exit. The police ran in, holding their guns up as they saw the man with the switchblade. Get on the ground! Get on the ground now! 
One of the officers then yelled. My ex just stared once more, taking a glance at me as he smiled menacingly once more. This isn't the end. He threatened me. The police shoved him into the ground and put him in cuffs. He just continued to look at me, and he had that creepy-ass smile on his face. You can run. You can move. But I will find you. They pulled him up and then walked him over to the police car, and he just kept staring. I'll find you. Don't think I won't, Emily. He threatened me once more. I was horrified, and I had backed up to Anthony, who had then put his arms all around me to keep me away from him. The police shoved him into the car, and my ex turned and looked at me once more. I'll see you soon. He mouthed, grinning. The police car pulled away, and I ran into Anthony's arms and hugged him, and then cried into his shoulder. Rosie came over and joined in for a group hug. This was the scariest experience in my life, and to this day, I still have nightmares about him coming back. I'm 20 years old now, and this still haunts me to this day. I now live on my own, and I haven't been in a relationship since that event. Nate, I hate even saying the real name of you. If you're still out there, I hope you burn in hell, you fucking piece of shit.